Dear friends, this is the last Sunday of this year, 2020. Do you remember where you were this time last year? What would you have thought if you'd have known this, this year would have been what this has been? How will you remember 2020? This is the exercise we usually do every year at this time. We reflect back on what's happened and such. But that's a little different for this year, right? In 2020. This has been a year like none other. And as we live in this same reality, we have different um, perspectives or different places and seasons of life. So what has this year been? Well, you know, for my twins, they turned 16 this year. They got their driver's license. That's exciting. You remember when you got your driver's license? It wasn't a year like this, but that's what it's been for my, for my oldest son. He and his girlfriend got engaged in early October. I mean, love was springing and souls were bonding. Ring was given. Yes was said. It was a glorious time in October. There's a lot that's happened in this year, just in ordinary life that just continues on. But what mostly we'll remember 2024 is just the, the chaos and the crises that have gripped not only our nation, but our world. And for many, unfortunately, this will be a year that they will want to forget or just get past. But this year's not over yet. Who knows what 2020 has for the last few days? A recent Gallup poll, which maybe you've seen, did a study or a poll of mental health now through this year. And there's been a decline in mental health across every demographic group, across gender, ethnicity, marriage status, age, income, political affiliation. Every group has recorded, according to this study, a decline in mental health except one group. Weekly churchgoers saw an increase from 2019 to 2020. So many are wanting to forget this year, get past this year, um, but we just start singing about rejoicing our sufferings and with trembling rejoice. For many, 2020 is now something to joke about. You've heard the jokes about 2020. But I think that's just a mere coping mechanism to avoid the hard questions of life. So let's just joke about this year because we don't want to ask the question of how could a good God allow evil and suffering in this world? We want to numb ourselves to our suffering. Um, we want to just kind of ready ourselves and kind of find whatever standing we kind of have in ourselves for the next crisis which may be around the corner. And so... People are joking about this year, or they have a nervous energy. Even the Nashville mayor, just a few days ago, with the explosion that happened in Nashville, nervously laughing, just saying, oh, I hope there's not another one today. Like, we don't even know how to deal with suffering and hardship and crises. And so we just joke about it. Um, I was with a family, and the TV was on, and there was a new commercial for Match.com. Perhaps you've seen this. It's a dating service. I'm so glad I didn't have to do this. I just grabbed a high school sweetheart and dated her for a couple years and got married to her. But this is how this new ad campaign kind of comes out. And, it, and it, 11, it, 11 months ago, it pictures hell, like the underworld and fire and so forth, and, and Satan sitting on a throne 
bored. And then he gets a notification on his phone that there's now a match. And so he, in this commercial from Match.com, Satan comes out from hell and goes out and under the bridge meets a young woman whose name is 2020. And through the year, and then we're kind of carried through this commercial with Taylor Swift's love song, um, where Satan and 2020 have a picnic in an empty football stadium. They work out in a gym with socially distanced treadmills. They go to the movie theater by themselves because no one else is there. They steal toilet paper out of a public restroom. Um, 2020 tries to pull them into a closed church. He resists. They take a selfie in front of a dumpster that's actually on fire. They don't wear a mask during the commercial. Do you think this is funny? I got so angry watching this. We're, it enrages me to see this commercial where ordinary people are suffering physically, mentally, economically, and Match.com wants to just joke about it. Like, come on to our service because Satan is now dating 2020. Pop culture is making light of demonic evil and human sin and suffering. And if we find ourselves laughing at this, it's either just we're trying to cope because we don't know how to deal with these things or we don't understand the spiritual warfare that's truly about us in these days. The calendar in a few days is turning from 2020 to 2021 A.D. Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. This year doesn't... This year... It's not the girlfriend of Satan. It's in the service of the Lord who is sovereign over all time and space. As is 2021. So this is my question to myself and to us at such a time as this. Do we truly believe that the Lord God is powerful and purposeful and king over all? This morning we're going to turn to Psalms 20 and 21. I'm not here to play numerology. But I was curious that when I just turned to Psalms 20 and 21, these are two psalms that go together. That you don't have to force them together. They're coupled together. And we're going to see them. These are two royal psalms. Psalm 20 is a prayer for salvation that God would give success to the king, particularly in battle. Psalm 21 is a prayer of thanksgiving because God answered the prayers of Psalm 20. These are written in the first person plural primarily as we read through these. Um, it's going to sound, well, who are, who's the, the different pronouns go to? Um, this is written for Israel to prayerfully sing on behalf as they pray for the king unto the Lord and unto the nation. So sometimes you'll see the you in this will be speaking directly to the king. Sometimes it's speaking to you, to the Lord. Praying to the Lord for the king or praying, king, this is what we're praying for you. And as we read these psalms, consider the revelation of God and how we then pray them, knowing Christ the king ourselves. Let's read Psalm 20 together here. Come with me and follow along. To the choir master, a psalm 
of David. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt, offer, your burnt sacrifices. Selah. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation. And in the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. Let's pause and consider this prayer for salvation in Psalm 20. But it's always imperative to understand the context of the text as we interpret the Scripture. My professor's always, context is king. we got to understand the historical setting, understand what genre are we in here, what's, what's happening around us grammatically. Um, we need to do this and not rashly rush ourselves into the Scriptures, reading ourselves into the Scriptures. Um, I said, Jesus, like, Let's just throw ourselves in here, but instead exegete the Scriptures so that they read into us. Otherwise, we're going to interpret the Scriptures and make it mean what we want it to mean rather than know what it means and then have it change us. So some of us like, well, you've done, I'm sure if we're honest, you've opened up your Bibles and you're like, you've done point and click fortune cookie Bible reading before. You would have loved it if you'd opened up, all right, boom, Psalm 20 verse 4. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. Amen, Lord. I like that verse. But that's not a fortune cookie for us. This is Israel praying for its king. There is no guarantee for God to grant all of our desires. As if he was some genie in a bottle. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend on your own passions. James 4.3 will counter that. So in the original setting, let's start there and then see how this will then read into us. This is Israel at a time when it's a theocratic nation. At this time, Israel is ruled by kings who are anointed by the Lord through his prophets. And so the king is also called the anointed as they were anointed to service. Godly kings were those who saw themselves under God's authority with God's law and by God's directive. And so they would would rightly worship the Lord and pray and petition unto him. And so it's good and right for the people to pray for the king. These are the petitions of verses 1 through 5. Look back there in your Bible. Most of your Bible translations are going to have this key word, may. 
May the Lord give you, and then there's several petitions here in verses one through five. May he give you answer. May he give you protection. May he give you help, support, remembrance, and regard. And then finally, at the end of this psalm, they, they pray out like, oh, Lord, save the king. The people are praying to the Lord for the success, blessing, and victory of their king. Now, this doesn't mean that the king can then go grabbing land and, and working injustices for selfish ambition. This is the goodness of God's people praying for the godliness of the king. The people's prayer is for the king, but where is their trust? Verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. This is weird. Chariots and horses, that's fine, but that should hearken us back to Deuteronomy chapter 17. And then as Israel's going into the promised land, the Lord gives them warning and he says, your king must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. I mean, God made horses. Horses are beautiful animals. So why is he instructing Israel and the king of Israel to never acquire large battalions of horses? Early in Israel, do you remember the victories that came? Most peculiar victories. They didn't come with the might of chariots and extensive armies. They came by God's mighty acts. When Pharaoh's armies were pursuing Israel, what weapons did we have? Moses just had a staff, and he raised it up, and the waters parted, and they walked through and collapsed in on the armies. That's all we had in our armament was a staff. Do you remember Joshua and Jericho? What, what are we going to do? Just take some laps every day, and on the seventh day, blow some trumpets. What about Gideon? God, I've got some numbers here. No, no, no. We're going to whittle you down to 300. What about David and Goliath? You don't need that armor. You got a slingshot. The battle is always the Lord's. And our temptation is always to want to fight like the world. And so later in Israel's history, particularly even with Solomon, kings raised up extensive cavalry units and became more like the neighboring pagan nations. And did the victories ensue? No, they started to get more defeated and handed over to their enemies. God's People are always so tempted to be like the world. But the Lord calls us to trust in his name. And his name is mysterious. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. And he is powerful and purpose, purposeful in all that he does. So we trust his holy. What does it mean to trust his name? It means who is he? His essence, his character. That's, mean, that's what it means to trust the name of the Lord. Who he is. And then we pray to him according to his will. 
This is what's happening here, but we don't live in a theocracy. We don't even live in a monarchy. So how do we as American Christians read Psalm 20? We see that there's still a truth principle here to be applied into our lives. We are to pray for our leaders, both the godly and the ungodly. Some thousand years later, the Apostle Paul would exhort Timothy in his first letter to him. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and for all who are in high positions, that we may lead peaceful, a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of the Lord God, our Savior, who desires that all people are to be saved and become to the knowledge of the truth. For there is only one God, and there is only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. My question, as we turn the corner of this year and into a new one, are we praying for our leaders and our nation in this day? There is a pandemic of disease and depression in our land and around this world. Economies are collapsing. Culture is in revolution right now. Our populace is polarized. Our elections are fraudulent. We are on the brink of a constitutional crisis. And what are we going to do? Start laughing about Satan being the boyfriend of 2020? What triviality we're living in. What shallowness. We don't even want to feel anymore, so we numb ourselves with humor as a coping mechanism. Or we just think that normal is around the corner. Will there ever again be united prayer in this land unto the Lord? Or are we just too progressive and politically correct and too proud to cry out to him? to express our dependence and our desperation for God. So yeah, throughout history, I'm now, took a break from Lord of the Rings, I'm now reading an audiobook, uh, History of the United States. Taylor thought I was weird, I was on the plane. Listening to, throughout history to see what is the story of this world, but then to understand God's sovereignty and God's providence through it. There have been many times, I can tell you, through American history, Revolutionary War, Civil War, where national days of prayer were called. But because I don't want you to think I'm some nationalist, let me give you an example from Britain. 1940. Perhaps you've seen the movie, too, that portrays this. In May of 1940, Hitler was launching a blitzkrieg down into France. This is in World War II. The British Expeditionary Force was cornered there in France at Dunkirk. And in a stirring radio broadcast, King George VI called for a national day of prayer for Sunday, May 26. Prayed. The nation called out to God. Churches were filled. 
And you know what the, the providences are miracles that then happened? Hitler overruled his own generals and halted the armored um, columns from advancing. A storm grounded most of the German squadrons. Furious storm. And yet, over the English Channel, it was calm. It's like anybody who had something that floated got in the water to get across the channel to grab these over 300,000 British soldiers to bring them home. Naval account vessels, sailing dingies, rowing boats, paddle boats, whatever. Anything you could find that floated, it looked like a boat parade in the English Channel going across to bring the boys home. And then the country believed that God had answered their prayers in a miraculous del deliverance. Winston Churchill, on June 4th, to the House of Commons, 335,000 men had been carried out of the jaws of death and shame to their native land. And Churchill referred to what had happened as a miracle of deliverance. Sunday, June 9th of 1940, just a week or so later, was appointed as a day of national thanksgiving. The National Telegraph stated in the article, the prayers of the nation were answered, and, the God, and this was written in a newspaper, the God of hosts himself had supported the valiant men of the British Expeditionary Force. When salvation comes, thanksgiving follows. Those who have been forgiven much will love much. And those who've been delivered from much are much grateful. And the thing is, do we even need salvation? Do we need to be delivered from anything? Do we need to be saved from anything in our day? Are we all good? We're going to figure this out on our own. Government will save the day. See, Psalm 20 is a prayer for salvation, for deliverance from enemies. Oh, Lord, Save the king. May he answer us when we call. That's how Psalm 20 ends. How are we ending 2020? What will 2021 hold? Psalm 21 is a prayer of thanksgiving because when salvation comes, thanksgiving ensues. The prayers of Psalm 20 are answered when we come to Psalm 21. Come with me and let's read it together. Pay attention to how these two psalms connect, even in their, their words, their structure. To the choir master, a psalm of David. O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices. And in your salvation, how greatly he exalts. You have given him his heart's desire. You have not withheld the request of his lips. Selah. For you meet him with rich blessings. You set a crown of fine gold upon his head. He asked life of you. You gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you bestow on him. For you make him the most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord, and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. 
Your hand will find out all of your enemies. Your right hand will find out all those who hate you. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath and fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth and their offspring from among the children of man. And though they plan evil against you, though they devise mischief, they will not succeed. For you will put them to flight. You will aim at their faces with your bows. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. What will be our supplications, our prayers, our intercessions and thanksgivings into 2021? Like I said, I'm not here to play numerology with the scriptures. All right, we're going from 2021 to 2020 to 2021. Let's just do 20 to 21. But it did capture me. It did make me pause and say that as Psalm 20 was a time to pray for deliverance, how much more this year has needed to be that? How we need salvation in our day. We need to cry out more. We need to be more dependent and desperate for God. Some may trust in experts and some may trust in governors, but we're to trust in the name of the Lord, our God. And God always answers prayers for deliverance. These are not prayers that he does not answer. God always answers prayers for deliverance. It's not always in the timing and the manner that we would wish, but God always answers prayers for those who cry out to him. The Hebrews who were in slavery in Egypt for generations crying out to the Lord. Those are prayers that were answered, for some of them not in their day, but it was answered. And so are we willing to pray prayers that may not get answered in our day, and that we will still suffer and trust in the name of the Lord, no matter what next year or whatever days we have in this short life. Psalm 21 is a prayer of thanksgiving for deliverance. He's praising God, how God has glorified himself in Israel through blessing the king. This is a tough psalm to pray for some of the kings that Israel had through its history. Many were wicked and did more evil than the one before them, as we saw through kings in the fall ungodly, turning away from the Lord to foreign gods. But there was a promise made to one king, to King David. 2 Samuel 7. Do you remember this? There will come one from your line, one from your offspring, who will rule forever in an everlasting kingdom. So there's a king, there's an expectation that Israel now had that there's going to come a king who will make all things right and will rule forever. So there's this expectation here, but there's a, a curious, how will this be? And so there's an expectation for a Messiah king whose heart's desire were pure, whose prayers were perfect, whose offering was pleasing before God. See, this is what we've seen in this king, even in these psalms, that he prayed his petitions, he had offerings to the Lord. But who is the king who would come to have perfect and pure prayers and offerings? 
And how would God give him blessing and success and victory? And this is the wondrous story of incarnation that we've now celebrated through Advent. That our king came to us, born in a manger in lowly Bethlehem. In fulfillment of scripture, just not as we expected. Born in obscurity, poverty, God in the flesh. He's the only king to perfectly fulfill these psalms. How does Jesus deliver us? How does he save us? Not by power and might, but through suffering and the way of cross, even death on, a cro- even death on this cross. So we deserve God's judgment, separation from God forever. So what is going to atone for this? What's going to make this repair? How can we be reconciled to God if we're sinful? We don't just need a mighty warrior. How can that deal with our sin? We don't just need a wise prophet. We can keep hearing the word of the Lord, but how that's going to deal with our sin? Our sin deserves death. And this is how the king came. He came and died in our place for the judgment of our sin. And our king was given victory over sin, death, and evil through resurrection. Many will trust the wisdom and might of this world, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This name is Jesus. And do you love him? I mean, as the wonder of the incarnation captured you again this year, as you know him and know that he's real and interceding for us and coming back again, do you long to see him, this blessed hope, the Savior from our sin, of our sin, and the Lord of our lives? I don't know what 2021 is going to hold. You don't either. But I do know who holds the coming days, the one who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this is the Lord our God, Christ Jesus the King. And so from this time, now in this life of this fallen world and this fractured nation, I want to ask, are we praying for our leaders? This is the pattern of these Psalms, even in these endings. Psalm 20 ends this way, O Lord, save the King, may He answer us when we call. Psalm 21 ends, Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. We pray for leaders and we trust, for the, we trust in the Lord. Are you praying for President Trump and Vice President Pence these days? Are you praying for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris in these days? For Tim Kaine and Mark Warner in these days? For Ben Klein or I don't know who, all the maybe other representatives we have represented in our church. Are you praying for Sherman Lee or for your council of your county and town? Are we praying for our leaders? That whether they know the Lord or not, we would pray that the Lord would bless them first unto salvation and then with godliness for the rule that they have underneath God's authority. the end of this year, we don't need to joke more. There's a time and a place for everything, and there's Christmas Eve was a time of just encouragement and warmth, 
to know, realize again God's love for us. But we need to cry out more. We need to be more dependent and desperate for God. But I'm afraid we're too proud and too politically correct and too progressive to do that. But I do know that God always preserves a remnant. And if the remnant prays, even if there's ten righteous men in the city, God will answer for his good purposes. The year was 1863. Our nation was in civil war. And on March 30th, this proclamation came from President Lincoln. He called the nation to prayer and to fasting. Whereas it is the duty, and nation, duty of nations as well as of men to own their dependence upon the overruling power of God, to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon, and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history, that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. And insomuch as we know that by his divine law, nations like individuals are subjected to punishments and chastisements in this world. May we not justly fear that the awful calamity of civil war, which now desolates the land, may be but a punishment afflicted upon us for our presumptuous sins to the needful end of our national reformation as a whole people. We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken, unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our national sins, and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. All this being done in sincerity and truth, let us then rest humbly in the hope authorized by the divine teachings that the united cry of the nation will be heard on high and answered with blessings, no less than the pardon of our national sins and the restoration of our now divided and suffering country to its former happy condition of unity and peace. 1863. A couple more years later, the Civil War ended, and it was, it was a hard work to put a country back together. Things don't happen overnight, and I know things are instantaneous, and we want normal to be just around the corner. 
But I don't even know what tomorrow holds. But I do know who holds tomorrow. And that as we walk in the light of the Lord, and we trust in His holy name, no matter what comes, if it's suffering, then we count it all joy and we do it, knowing it refines us, even as we sang, refines us as gold. And if there's revival, then there will be joy in our hearts, not because of something we've attained in our own strength, but it will be a mercy of the Lord. So whether suffering or revival, whatever holds us in 2021, God is God, and we can trust His holy name. Life continues on. People keep turning 16, getting married, and stuff. And so there's daily joys and daily sorrows, daily burdens to bear with one another. But as we zoom out and say, what are you doing in this world? What are you doing in this time, Lord? Let us humble ourselves under his mighty hand. Let's pray. And friends, let's not do the obligatory pastor prayer to move on to the next song, to then do another song, to benediction. I'm asking you now to pray. I'm going to allow a time of silence. Let's pour out our hearts before the Lord and pray unto him. We need his mercy.